2: I'm Sam Abual salmon from Navigant Research,
3: and I'm Rebecca Linland from RebeccaDrives.com. Oh,
2: yeah! You know, I forgot to tell
1: people who I'm who I'm with. Uh, I'm, I'm with <laughs> Forbes, and I'm still with and Twitter because Twitter is my favorite. <laughs> uh, all right, so let's get to the cars. And so this week, I was driving a uh, BMW 850 M 850i. Uh, Sam, and you loved it, right? I, <laughs> You know, let's we'll just jump in with uh with both feet. Uh it, it's it's an impressive car, but it's a stupid stupid car.
2: Why? <laughs> Why?
1: What's It's what's
2: so stupid about it? Uh,
1: you know, the so I can't say that it's different than the original 8 series in the sense that it's a you know, on the the technological forefront, the original eight series was also very advanced, for, especially for its time. And so this car is, is very much like that. It's a GT, uh, just like the eight, you know, so it, it sort of stays with tradition there. It, it's what you'd expect from an eight. If you remember the original, did, did eight. you,
2: did you ever drive the original eight series?
1: I did not. I wish I had, I um, did. Yeah. So it, that car to me was like a, a Bavarian Thunderbird. <laughs>
2: and, um, uh, <laughs> very I, much so. It, yeah. it was very much, especially compared to um, the last of the the older, you know, like before they did that two seater revival. Uh, oh, oh yeah. The this, this century. The, the MN12. The, uh, the MN12 Thunderbirds. This, yeah. Which is
1: hilarious because the MN12 was basically Ford's copy of the six series.
2: Exactly.
1: Um, and, and they got it right. Way, way overweight, behind budget, and over. over you know, uh, over budget and behind schedule. But anyway, um, yeah, th- this still is, I guess, if you, if you want to think of the Thunderbird now that it's, it's not here anymore, it's, it's a harder comparison to make, but it's, it's a GT and it's obscenely expensive. And this one is a convertible. And so I immediately like it less because I don't like
2: convertibles, <laughs> well, you're just wrong. I'm sorry, I, but you're wrong, Dan. I, How
1: it do you is
3: not a, like convertibles? I, yeah. Oh, it's a I great convertible, both. I will say.
1: <laughs> um, it's solid, for, which is impressive. Again, it's not the car's fault that I don't like it. It's my, it's me. It's my hang-up. Um, it, because it, it's a very solid car. It doesn't really cowl shake or anything at all, which j- is very impressive to me because it's a porker. It's big. And it's heavy, (laughs) and it drives big, and heavy. Although it has a fantastic uh, twin turbo V eight, the what is the engine? The engine is a um, it's a turbo four point four liter V eight. It's got five hundred and thirty something horsepower. Uh, I should I should pull up the summary here so I could tell you more about it. Um, Yeah, it's got and it's got X drive, which is a nice touch for um, a convertible because it makes it a car you can use all year round Uh, the price on it i think was the thing that got me the most other than the just it's a very sophisticated car so it's 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 got a steep learning curve and some of the way bmw does stuff just aggravates me to no end like it doesn't shut off you can't shut the goddamn car off (laughs) like what do you you, mean you can't shut it off you park and you can shut the engine off but the stupid you keep stabbing at the button and the, the stuff inside stays on until you lock the doors. I hate that to no end. You mean like the accessories? That,
2: yeah. Yeah, well, that—that's. Uh, I've actually seen the same thing on some other cars recently. Minis do it. Yeah, mini, yeah other, and other BMWs have done it. Yeah. Uh, the X4 did that as well.
1: Mercedes does it too. And it's, it's a quote-unquote convenience. I'm like, I want to know the thing is off so that it doesn't sit in my garage and kill the battery. And it, it's, it, it's, a, it's a philosophy thing. You know, like it's again. This is my hangup, so I can't fault the car. The car is exactly as they designed it. They did a fantastic job. It's an engineering masterpiece. It it drives very well, although it's it's kind of big, and with the convertible, you can't really see all that well to so the rear. the The visibility is not great. The belt line is kind of high. Um, but you know, all of my hangups is just it's modern BMW stuff. Uh, the iDrive system is is pretty good. The, the thing that got me the most was while it drives like it should for the price, you know, it's got a lot of power. It has plenty of grip. it, It has different drive modes that change the character of the car in a noticeable way. It, it handles pretty well for something as large and as heavy as, as it is. Uh, it, it's just. Very um the interior doesn't feel like it's of that caliber. You know, it doesn't feel like a hundred and twenty-seven
3: thousand dollar car,
1: which is what it was. Which like, that's a lot of dough.
3: But that's um, also I mean, that's one area where BMW I think can really improve on is the interiors.
1: Yeah. It you know, it the materials are nice and I I should say again like this is a blue car with an all black interior. Mm. So it gets a lot harder to judge sometimes when the materials are all black because you could do all black in synthetics. You could do all black in the nicest leather you're ever going to find. And the difference visually into the touch may not be all that, that much. So, you know, some of that subtlety may be why it's getting lost on me, but I'm just looking around and I'm going, yeah, these, these are materials that I'd see in a five series. Uh, for, you know, 70000 which is still, again, not cheap, but, it you know, it, it's... It doesn't strike me as the cabin of a car that was north of $100,000, north of $110,000. Um, so the money is clearly in the fact that it's a convertible, that it's an exclusive model, and it's got a, a pretty... pretty well-sorted powertrain that does whatever you ask of it without any complaint. Um you know, it it's just I wonder who buys these cars and not. I wonder who buys them and uses them to their full potential, I suppose. Because, Almost no one. Yeah. Uh, like this is a car that if I were to y- try to use it to even seven tenths, I would scare the daylights out of myself because <laughs> it's it's so capable. You just you're going to end up in trouble. Really, really quickly. So then it becomes overkill, v- beautifully done overkill. But and I think that's that's sort of my criticism is we're at the point where you really can't exploit all of the talents this car has. So it becomes merely a a status thing. Like oh, you bought the very fast one
2: <laughs> because, because you could.
1: Yeah, because you want to sit in traffic, and the, the stuff that makes it sit in traffic well is the all the ADAS, which is exceptional. It's it's very well done. Um, so from a driver's perspective, you know, BMW still makes a very good driver's car. It's just that the things that make a driver's car now are different than, say, when they had the... I don't even know what the E number was for the the original 8, eight, eight series, but it was E something. Um, you know, what made a driver's car then is different than what makes a driver's car now. But even, even then, that car was high-tech and luxurious and, and it wasn't, it wasn't an E30 M3, you know, it wasn't as elemental. And so there's that insulation that happens. So it was I, an E31. It was an E30. Wow. Really? They did the E30 and then they did that car. Interesting. Yeah. That's a, that's an interesting order. Um, yeah, you know, I, I guess for me, I'm trying to think of the competitor and the most natural competitor for this car I can think of beyond a, a Mercedes, uh, would be a 911 because of the performance, and I would so much uh, rather have a 911.
2: Yeah, except I don't think you know I don't think this is really this is not th- this is not targeted at the 911 buyer. The 911 buyer is not going to buy an M850. They might they might consider an M8 uh, when that comes out. And okay, that, and that is coming, but I I can't see you know somebody that's interested in a 911 going for something like an 8 series. Uh, coupe or convertible, you know, because as you say, it's, you know, it's a grand touring car. It's, it's not, um, you know, the the 911, you know, while, you know, it has been incredibly civilized over the last several generations compared to, you know, old school 911s, you know, it's, it's not, um, it's not, I wouldn't call it a grand touring car. It's still a sports car.
3: Yeah. I'd go for the Panamera.
2: Um. Well, I mean, even the but Panamera. Panamera is you know, practical. It's a, yeah, you know, it's a. It's a. <laughs> this it's a is bigger, not practical. <laughs> yeah. Um, no. You know, so, something like a Lexus LC. Yeah. You know, uh, is you know much more of a competitor to this. Or I would absolutely Mercedes, rather have the Lexus. The or the Mercedes S Class Coupe, uh, or convertible. You know, that's those are those are the natural competitors to this thing. Okay. Yeah, maybe I, maybe maybe even you know an Aston Martin uh what are we up to? DB11 now? I would definitely yeah. rather have the Aston. If I'd you're gonna spend that Aston
1: kind of money, Aston you can get an Aston. I mean, come on. It's just that much more exclusive. Uh and, and that's the name of the game. Like as a four-seat convertible, it's it it has a tiny back seat. The trunk isn't bad. You know, the practicality doesn't really matter for this kind of car um until it does. You know, if if it if it is actually something that you want to take your um uh, your other very wealthy friends out for a toddle around town, they're not going to be comfortable. <laughs> so you should just stay on the yacht. But <laughs> uh, it, it, I, I guess it's, it's, it's one of those situations of BMW. It's not you. It's me. Um, <laughs> Cause really like I, it's a, it's a good, car. It's a great it, convertible. I'm it, impressed it, with how, how it, solid
2: it is. It's well executed at what it's intended to be, but what that what that is is not the kind of car that you want. Well,
1: you know, the thing I didn't like about it was the low seating position, the uh, the limited visibility. Uh, yeah, and and the convertible again that's my hang up. Um I was impressed with the fact that it doesn't seem to have that typical um sacrifice that you make when you when you go to a convertible. It it really doesn't shake you don't you don't feel that that lack of torsional rigidity much at all if
2: if ever. If you're looking for Which is surprising you'll find in a car it. as big as an 8 series.
1: Yeah, that's what I was impressed it's not with. Not a was, small car. Yeah, it is it is uh, a big car and so I think you know the way it's been engineered it, it's again I I call it a masterpiece and I and I think it really is because that's that's BMW's Thing and a lot of that is a little bit hidden uh, beneath the the fact that it's it's a big expensive fancy convertible. You know the the um, way it's constructed to make it that solid is probably the real story there, um, and and that's that's a little bit lost and it's lost on you if you're just driving it and you don't realize how good it is. Um, luckily, we drive a lot of things, so I could get in it and go. You know this is this is actually quite impressive. Um, the the way the iDrive, it, it has, um, it almost feels like the whole panel is loose because the buttons are, it, they're like capacitive, but then you, you press it and the panel pivots, but the whole panel pivots versus the, um, like an individual button. So that was, that was a little interesting if we we're going to split hairs, but um, yeah, the, the way they've made such a, a, sort of strong structure you know they use uh i think they use um carbon fiber reinforced plastic and aluminum and magnesium it's it's, they've learned a lot from racing and from uh building even more exotic stuff i think that the i8 probably influences car a bit and just that kind of way to keep the weight off and the strength up and still deliver performance so
2: yeah and a lot of those techniques you know um from, you know, things that they learned from doing the i8 and the i3 were incorporated, you know, into the, the current 7 Series and, and now, you know, into cars like this, you know, with multi-material structures, you know, so they've got steel and aluminum and magnesium and carbon fiber, you know, at various locations to, you know, to, you know, give it that kind of strength and um, and rigidity.
1: Yeah, it's, it's very good. So if you want to be impressed, go check it out. It's, it, it is very good at what it does. Um, I would like it with a different color interior. I think the exterior looks great. I think the ragtop kind of ruins the lines of the car. I much prefer the coupe. But again, this is this is my hang-up. We have learned tonight that Dan is really not a convertible guy. <laughs> so uh, let's talk about something. Good. More for me. Yeah, something that you're driving, um, Rebecca. You had. You, I think you're the only one on the list with two cars this week. So let's, <gasps> let's jump to you because you had the you had the Maxima, and Sam had that not too long ago.
3: Yeah, I did, and and I I continue to be double booked. on um, which oh, is, such a problem. Oh, it is. It's Jeez. torture. Uh, <laughs> gotta make
1: up excuses to go drive.
3: Um, but you know, and it is true. I I did actually. I went out on Sunday just to put some miles on the car, which was really nice to have that opportunity to end that time. So, yes, yeah, so I had the 2019 Nissan Maxima Platinum Reserve. Uh, it's got a V6 engine in it, a 3.5 liter uh, it's CVT. And I got to tell you, I think that Nissan just does a really good CVT. This one was, was really nice. I mean, it was, um, they, they did a really nice job with it. I, uh, this particular one had front wheel drive to it. Uh, it was the base is $34,000 and as equipped, this was $46,000. <laughs> so that was impressive. Um, a few things that that stood out. Uh, this is a refresh. They did some updating on the um, front and rear of the vehicle. Uh, it was, you know, it's just fun to drive. It's a, it's a sedan that is, you know, has that almost feel to that four-door sports car that Nissan uh, claims that it is. It, it's, it's, very close to being that it's, it's, you know, it's, it's not that it's a big car. It's just, you feel the whole car uh, as you drive it. Uh, but I, I just, I had a lot of fun with it. Uh, the exhaust note I thought was really, really good. And, um, and it, it, it was clear that it was a nice size engine. You know, it definitely did not feel underpowered at all. Um, the steering was good. I liked, i sport mode was a lot of fun to put it in, especially, you know, as I went through some of the twisties, uh, there was a couple things that were a little, a little fly in the ointment. Um, when I, it was cold out. So I put the heated seats on and sometimes when in my driveway, um, I can't get radio stations. And as soon as I pull away from the house, it clears up and the, whatever I'm listening to, whether it's AM for traffic or, espn for sports radio uh it'll all all of a sudden kick in and so i'm expecting this to happen but i kept hearing this buzzing noise and i kept trying to play with the radio and and fix it and get it into tune and nothing would change and then i realized that it was actually the fan from the heated seats oh yeah And uh, Sam, I don't know if you had this, but it was so weird. The fan from I've had fans from the ventilated seats, but I haven't had it from the heated seats. And I don't know if they're just, if that's a function of having heated and cooled that the fan comes on regardless.
2: Usually the the fan, I've never had a fan come on, on heated seats before. So. Um, and I did not notice that when I had the Maxima. You know, it was cold when I had it, and I used the heated seats, and the fan never came. There was no fan that came on in the seat.
3: So what's interesting is that I uh, just yesterday they dropped off uh, the Mercedes GLE, and that also, I I also heard the fan on the heated seat mode. Hmm. And, and my mom actually commented on it, and, well, God bless her, but she can't hear anything. So... <laughs>
2: That's maybe that's selectively. Maybe she's (laughs) her bruise is working. Um, You sure it was the fan and a fan in the seat and not somewhere else?
3: That's that's why I was I I turned it off to confirm in the Maxima Maxima in particular. Huh.
2: That that is strange. I I have not ever. I don't think I've ever experienced that. uh, A fan when the the seat heater is on, only when the, the ventilation is on. Right. When the and ventilation is even then even then, you know, I've I've never really heard the fan. You don't you don't typically hear the fan, you know, because it's it's pretty gentle. So, you know
1: what? This calls for an email to Stephen Oldham so we can ask him yeah. what's up with the seats.
2: You know what 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 I where I have heard <laughs> sounds from the seats, um, you know, this was uh in the uh in the Cadillac XT four a couple of weeks ago. Uh-huh. Um, was when you turn on the massage function, because the the way the seats in the in the XT4 did the massage, uh-huh. uh, it was actually using the inflatable lumbar supports. So it had it has like three bladders in there, right? And it was basically cycling through those, and so it would inflate them and, and deflate them. And as it deflated the the lumbar support, um, it was venting off the air. You could hear the uh, you could hear it venting off, and then and then reinflating again. Right, uh, but you know the the heater itself. You know, there's, there's typically no moving parts of the heater. It's it's usually just a heating element. You know, they just you know give it power, and it just heats up. But you know, there's usually no circulate, no air circulation. I know. associated with it.
3: It was very strange. It was very it's a, strange.
2: It's a it's a mystery.
1: Yeah, I mean, oh, you yeah. know what? Uh, one thing because it, it was cold here too, and the thing that impressed me the most about the 850i, I forgot to mention this. It has heat like immediately.
3: I don't know Uh, if they've got like a
1: resistive heater in there or something, but it immediately like legitimately within the space of one block starts to, (coughs) to blow. Yeah. That's nice. I was astounded. I I don't know (laughs) what they've done, but that's the best thing I've ever experienced.
3: (laughs) But yeah, so this heated seat. So I have to admit that I hear, I hear the motor from ventilated seats all the time.
1: Yeah, I I do too. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And, so the, just one other um, thing, note on, on the Maxima, uh, so it has this lovely diamond quilted seats that are standard on the Platinum Reserve and they look really nice, but then they have this, this semi-aniline leather and it kind of reminded me of 70s hide. <laughs> and oh, when no. I went to confirm how to spell hide, I found out that hide oh, is uh-huh. named, do you know? After Naugatuck, yes, after Naugatuck, Connecticut, where rubber was manufactured. Uh huh. I'd say that's just a little fun fact for me. (laughs) Yeah,
1: I I was. I also found that out recently. I was like, "Huh? No kidding. Makes sense." (laughs) So that was (laughs) you probably not find much Naugahyde in Naugatuck any longer. It's kind of a tony community, isn't it?
3: Well, yes. So I so. It is exactly I, I. made the point that nothing is made in Connecticut anymore. So this was apparently a while ago.
1: <laughs> I. They make submarines there still. Yeah. <laughs>
3: um. So I couldn't remember. Did I talk about the the Lexus NX three hundred F Sport? I think I did. Right. Yeah. Yes. We talked yes. About that last okay. Time. I just wanted to make yep. sure that I had covered that one for you guys. Um. So then I also had the uh I the Hyundai Tucson uh Ultimate All Wheel Drive. Uh, And this has the 2.4 liter four cylinder in it. So I got to tell you, I mean, this was just—I really—I liked this car. This midsize crossover, small crossover. It was just—it was just a good vehicle. It was one of those, and it actually had a lot of really, really pleasant surprises in it, especially for the price. I mean, it's—it bases at. This is for the the ultimate, as I said, the top of the line, $32,950. And and that's just such a great price for this. It had heated and cooled seats. It had the forward collision warning, lane keep assist, blind spot monitoring, hill start assist, uh, all these different safety features on it, all these different comforts, heated and cooled seats. It was just, it was just a really, really well-equipped vehicle. And it just behaved really well. And all just all around, it was just like I was like, this is such a good vehicle, and it was such a good price. And that's that's Hyundai, that's, right? I,
1: you know, and they're not sending us checks, they're just they make good cars, they do. Okay,
2: so so wait a minute. So you said there's $35,000 for that one, Yeah, you know, 34. a couple of months ago, 30, oh, okay, 34. And you know, when we had the, the Mazda CX5, I know. You know that was that was 37, and we complained bitterly about that price,
3: but we complained, and it's not
2: that much more.
3: Well, it is though because I didn't get that feeling of first of all i th- I felt like the Tucson was bigger than the c x5 and maybe that's just a feel thing yeah that might
1: be just a feel
3: yeah um but I don't know i mean this was thirty it was the um the freight and handling is one thousand forty five so that so the total price on this is thirty four one thirty. But I do think that, you know, another 3000, I didn't walk. I didn't have the Mazda CX-5. I didn't leave with that feeling of, wow, that was just a really, really good experience.
1: So I wonder why that is, because the the Mazda lineup tends to really charm car riders. Uh, we, We tend to always recommend them as like if you if you like to drive the Mazda in whatever class you're in is gonna be you know pleasing from behind the wheel. But for, for whatever reason, I'm I'm curious as to, to why well, the I Hyundai, think, which
3: is a little more dull. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, I I unfortunately I don't have the sticker here for for the CX5. So we should I could do some comparisons on on content also. I will say I I liked the CX5 interior better. The Hyundai the Tucson interior was pretty straightforward. It was that black on black, which I'm not a huge fan of and was very almost gray feeling. Like I would have really enjoyed some some more color and contrast with the interior. But Sam, to your point, I, I understand that. I just, I don't know. There was something about the CX-5, again, that I it didn't leave me feeling like you know, this was really worth it. Um, and, and I don't know, I, I think with the Hyundai, when I, when I looked at the price, I was like, wow, you know what, that's, that's a really good vehicle. So.
2: Okay. Well, I, I'm. It could I just be made again. Pulled up the, uh, I just pulled up the Monroney from the, uh, from the CX-5 and actually looking at it now, um, the base price on the, the CX-5 signature Yes. Was thirty seven thousand? I think the one but you drove the, was like forty. Forty. It, it was. It was thir- thirty nine. Three thirty was the one that I had uh, with options and delivery and everything.
3: And I think mine was somewhere in there as well.
2: Yeah. So, to- you know that that is. I mean, that's you know that's six thousand dollars. I mean, if you're if the Tucson was thirty four, you know that's I mean, or you know five thousand dollars difference. That you know that is significant. You know, I, I I think it's been a couple of years since I drove a Tucson, and I I, I do have one coming up again in June. Um, you know, and you know I agree. You know, it was it was really nice. You know, like like pretty much all modern Hyundai's are. Um, you know, and the the CX five. You know, I would say definitely feels more premium. You know whether it's worth an extra five thousand uh, dollars, you know, is debatable.
3: Well, I think also you start to get into a price point where you say, "What else is available at that price point?"
1: Right. Right. And at forty grand, there's a lot there, out there. Even yeah. Thirty five, there is, but uh, you know, the thing that the both of them do at that price level is they're fully loaded for, you know, the forty thousand in the case of the Mazda, or you know, thirty five yeah. in the case of Yeah. And you
2: know, the Tucson, with, right? with the with the Tucson, you know, in particular you know, if you're a little more judicious with the options list, you know, you can easily get that, you know, down, you know, into the mid to upper twenties.
3: Oh, easily. Uh,
2: or or even lower, you know, like, you know, if you, know, if you go without most of the, the optional stuff, you know, you can get it down to the low twenties. So yeah, it starts it's, at 20,950. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, it's actually, it's as, as Hyundais are, you know, it's a really good value. Right
1: yeah yeah, and I, I I remember the last time I drove a Tucson which was a while ago now uh, but it was the same thing uh, I had the same impression that like this is just really good at being really good <laughs> you know it was, <laughs> it was very well-rounded it, and the one I drove had the 1.6 liter turbo that's not the engine that you had in yours right you had a
3: different I did engine? 2.4 liter six speed okay so uh, that's that's cylinder. the right
1: that's the non-turbo yeah. So I, I'd be interested in what it's like with the bigger engine because I think the the bigger engine has less torque. I I think I'm trying to remember. Yeah, it, is, right. it
2: it is it is it is a less responsive engine than the uh, the one six turbo.
1: Which is that that one six turbo is a great engine. It feels like it's twice its size. It's really yeah. I'm impressed by that. But it, it also like it doesn't need it. So with the two point four, it's a little more. You know, it's a little slower. Still not sluggish, but I'm assuming it gets decent fuel economy too. Do, it you, doesn't, do you know what you were getting? You know,
3: the, the fuel economy is not great. I ended up getting about 24. It was right there with the, um, the, combi- the combined is 23, so 21 city, 26 highway. Uh, and I, I did quite a bit of highway driving in it, um, but it was just quiet. And, but so anyway, so the, the, the fuel economy is, is fine. I, I would describe it as fine, you know, in a vehicle that size.
2: Fine is a and, ringing endorsement. Well, you know, and actually, <laughs> well, not, you, you know, know twenty-eight 20, or 30. 20, 24, 25 is actually you know about what you'll get in most of those compact crossovers, you know, in that segment. Right. So it's it's not it's not bad. It's you know it's it's not any wor- better or worse than most of its comp- competition. Right. It's fine. At least at least for <laughs> you know versions that you know just have a straight up gasoline engine as opposed to a hybrid.
3: Right. It's fine. It was fine. <laughs>
2: All right, Sam. what are you driving? Uh, I just sent back the uh, twenty nineteen Ford Ranger. Oh, uh, how was the, it
1: uh,
2: ah! it's a, It's a sized truck, oh. you know.
1: Well, you had the Lariat it's a, it's a, trim.
2: Isn't that like the fancy, fancy one? It's it's the fancy, fancy one, which means it's the pricey, pricey one. Uh, yeah,
1: well, I mean, we've, well, we've had some pricey options on this week's show. So, yeah. You know,
2: you know um, the, the one I had, as you said, was the Lariat 4x4 uh, four four Super Cab, uh, which came to $42,000 uh, all in, including delivery. I mean, that's
1: only a couple grand more than a Mazda CX-5. That's not too bad.
2: Yeah, no. <laughs> um, although this, the CX five feels a lot more premium inside than this thing does, does you know? Granted, you can get a Ranger for you know starting at twenty four thousand dollars. So you know, if if what you're looking for you know is a basic midsize truck, midsize pickup truck, you know you can you can get one for a pretty reasonable price. You know, for the XL, you know, with the steel wheels and everything. You know, if you're not looking for the fancy stuff, um, you know it'll you know you can you can get one much more reasonably priced than this um, you know this one as i said was pretty much fully loaded with you know everything you can get on you know nice chrome aluminum wheels and chrome running boards and uh you know uh you know the, it was, this one was the super cab so as, as with the uh the competition from uh, you know the other all the other brands, including the Chevy Colorado, GMC Canyon, um, the Toyota Tacoma, uh, Nissan Frontier. You can get this you know in either super cab, which is just an, an extended cab, or a full crew cab form. Um, when you get the super cab, it has a couple of things that you know look more or less like seats behind the front seats, um, and it has, it has has seat belts and everything. Um, you know, but if you're, you know, more than about four and a half feet tall, I think, I think, uh, Jill Simonillo, um, you know, would probably be about the tallest person (laughs) that could reasonably sit in the backseat of, of a super cab Ranger. Uh, and, and, you know, granted the same thing applies, you know, for a Colorado or Canyon and, uh, and, you know, I'm sure for the Tacoma, um, you know, if you got one of those, so, you know, really what it is, is an upholstered package shelf. Uh, and it worked, you know, worked great, for, worked worked great for the dog when I had to take her to the vet to get spayed last week. So, you know, that was that was fine. Um, the you know, the only engine, the only powertrain available in the Ranger right now is the 2.3 liter uh, EcoBoost four cylinder, which is a, a four cylinder turbo uh, with direct injection. And it's you know it's got plenty of performance, 270 horsepower, 310 foot pounds of torque. So, you know it's it's more than adequate for the for a truck this size. Uh, it's got a t- uh, Ford's 10 speed automatic transmission, um, auto stop start. You know, um, for you know, as you start to get up into the you know the lariat trim level, though, you know it does have leather seats in it, which are, are, you know, they look nice and they, they feel, feel good. They're, they're comfortable and reasonably supportive. Um, and there's, you know, leather across the top of the dashboard, but all the other surfaces in there really don't feel like a $40,000 truck. Yeah, you know, it's hard, see. hard plastics. <laughs> um, you know, every, I mean, in terms of the layout, you know, the, the ergonomics, no complaints there. Everything was good. But it just doesn't feel like a $40,000 vehicle, you know, in terms of the materials. Um, you know, fits and everything were good. You know, there were no sharp edges, no flashing lines, things like that. But it it just, you know, at $30,000, no problem. I, I You know, I would have no complaints about it. And, you know, frankly, I would suggest that, you know, if you're interested, you know, in a Ranger, um, you know, you're probably better off to go with like the XLT trim. Uh, rather than rather than the Lariat, because you're not really getting that much more, you know, for the extra you know, several thousand dollars for a Lariat. Um, it, you know, the the other issue I had, you know, as is the case with most of these uh, trucks, um, you know, the ride quality. Uh, when it was empty could be a little on the bouncy side you know it wasn't it wasn't as bad as a, as a Tacoma you know the last time I drove a Tacoma a couple of years ago it was I found it to be much worse than this. Oh, the Tacoma but,
1: is awful I don't know why people love that yeah. truck
2: it's so uncomfortable and chintzy for its price. It's not. But you hmm. know com- compared to a Ram 1500 you know which is positively plush by comparison with with this thing. You know, it, it does get a little bouncy until you put about six hundred pounds of topsoil in the bed, uh, and then it all smooths right out. And then it, it's it's actually it's great in that case. So uh,
1: I, I guess what I'm struggling with is it's uh, so a couple of things. In the lariat trim, you're at the edge of what you can buy right now for the Ranger. So mm-hmm. they've they've tarted up a truck that's very clearly like a mid thirty thousand dollars truck. You know, so. Where you're noticing areas that aren't as good as they should be for the price, I honestly – I wonder how many of the buyers who who pony up for it are actually going to care. Because I've seen the same kind of shenanigans in the F-Series where you look at the sticker price and then you look around and you're like, what happened?
3: <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, and and that's exactly why this truck exists now, why Ford decided to bring the this Ranger because this, this current generation midsize Ranger has actually been on sale – Overseas for several years already before it came back to the U.S. market. You know, they dropped the the old small Ranger back what about twenty ten or so? They discontinued it, or maybe it was even earlier than that. And you know, they've had they've had this larger midsize global Ranger for for a while now, and they finally brought it back to the U.S. market, um, in part you know because they saw how well you know the other midsize trucks like the Tacoma, the, the Colorado Canyon, and and even the Frontier. Um, have been selling and you know and also in part because when you look at the full-size trucks you know they have continued to creep upwards in price you know back when they discontinued the the old ranger you know they the reason they gave for not uh, not doing a new doing the new ranger in North America was that you know it wouldn't it wouldn't be that much more fuel efficient than an f150 and it wouldn't really be much cheaper than an f150.
1: Both of those uh, have proven to be correct. <laughs> <laughs> right.
2: Well, you know, but but the th- the thing is, you know, the, as the price of the F one fifty has continued to climb upwards, it opened up a space now for a slightly smaller, more affordable truck, you know, in that midsize segment. And so, I think that there is a place for a truck like this. I think for the average consumer that wants a midsize truck, you know, th- somebody that's not necessarily going to be doing a lot of uh, a lot of hauling or heavy towing. You know, I think that you know something like the Honda Ridgeline might actually be a better choice for them.
1: I think all of these trucks lose to the Ridgeline. Yeah, because the Ridgeline is it is that weekend warrior truck. It's a lot nicer interior wise. It's a lot more efficient. It's just as capable for probably ninety percent of the people who are gonna gonna. Oh, I can't say ninety percent. Like you got to think that there are. There's going to be significant fleet buyers at some point, you know, um, and I'm assuming that those trucks will be lower trim and they will be worked a lot harder, but.
2: Yeah. You know, and if you wanted something, you know, that's going to be, you know, a work truck, you know, like maybe, you know, maybe on, on your farm or, you know, something like that. And you want something smaller than an F-150, you know, going for something like the XL, the, you know, the base model, uh, at $24,000, that's actually not a bad deal because you get all the capability you're going to get in the higher trim levels at at a much more affordable price point. Uh, You know, so I think, you know, that, you know, and the, the, uh, the Rangers got a 7,500 pound towing capacity. So you can actually do some pretty significant towing with this thing because of that engine, uh, how much, uh,
3: homogulating did they have to do to bring it to the States?
2: Uh, they they did change quite a bit of like the interior um was all new for the US version okay. you know they changed it pretty significantly exterior wise you know the sheet metal is pretty much stock uh, the same as it was they tweaked the grill and you know they they made some you know they basically did you know the equivalent of a mid cycle update mm-hmm. um to it and they did they did do some other up, you know some other changes in the suspension and tuning and things like that and And this is the first time that they've used the 2.3 liter EcoBoost in this, in the Ranger. Um, They've had, and most of the Rangers sold in overseas markets have diesel engines. Okay. Uh, So, you know, they, they did, they did change some stuff like that. And, you know, they, they added features, you know, that are expected in the U S market. So for example, it's got Sync three, you can get, you know, the one I had, you know, had the version with navigation in there, they added, you know, they've, as with all new Ford vehicles now. Um, you know, it's got Ford Pass Connect, which is their, their LTE telematic system in there. Um, it's got um, the Copilot 360 Driver Assist Package, so you get standard equipment. You know, you get uh, blind spot monitoring, lane keeping assist, automatic emergency braking, um, th- and things like that that are that are all standard even on the XL. Um, you know, th- those things are those are features that were not available on the global version. Up until they they did this revamp, so it there there are a lot of up, upgrades that were done to this, and you know the truck is now you know whereas the the global one was being built in Thailand, and this one is being built here in Michigan and the uh, the Wayne assembly plant where they uh, formerly built the Focus and C
3: Max. So all it, right, it's just it's a little oh, okay. disappointing to hear that the interior, after all that work. Didn't really live up to your expectations. you
2: know, like like I said, you know, for you know, for if you went for the XL or XLT, I think it would be it would be acceptable, you know. And it's 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 certainly no worse than you know what you get from you know, from a Tacoma. You know, I mean, you know, those have you know similar level similar levels of, um, you know, materials and finish and so on. So you know, it's just I think that you know when if you when you're going to step up to a Lariat, you know, four wheel drive. Lariat, you know, you're looking at $36,000, you know, plus a few options on there, you know, which, which brought it up to 40 grand, you know, at that price point, you know, then I think it's, it's not really up to snuff, but, you know, at the lower price levels, I think, I think it's fine, you know, so if what you're looking for, you know, is a truck with some, you know, that has some, you know, serious towing capability and, you know, this, you know, that is one area where this does have a significant advantage over the, you know, something like the Ridgeline. You know the Ridgeline, I think, is it's it's either thirty five hundred or five thousand pounds. You know, so you've got seventy five hundred pounds towing capacity, seventeen hundred pounds of payload capacity. You know, so this, you know, this this thing, it's built the the way you would expect a Ford pickup truck to be.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's serious. I mean, you can you can put nearly two thousand pounds in the bed, and you can still tow seventy five hundred pounds. That's that's pretty good. That's yeah. um, So if you are going to work it, it it seems like it'll it'll live up to that. I'm curious how it stacks up to I guess it's three main competitors, the Tacoma, the Colorado Canyon and the the Frontier. I mean, clearly we know that the Frontier is like
2: yeah. the Frontier is the ancient. The Frontier is about 7,000 years old, <laughs> but you I, know, so. <laughs>
1: but I, because of that, I, I actually I like it for the same reason as I like the Z. It it's just it it's quaint in that way of like, oh, this is what cars used to be like, <laughs> you know. It's just an honest little pickup. And um, I like it better than the Tacoma, which has been refreshed. But, God, it just sucks to sit in. And it it's so expensive for I, – I don't know. The, the Tacoma has – it owns that market. It has a very loyal um, – customer base that keeps coming back over and over again. But I just, I don't like being in them. <laughs> and, uh, well, I,
2: I haven't, I mean, it, it's been a couple of years since I drove the Colorado. Um, and, you know, I haven't priced one out recently. But my guess is that, you know, comparably equipped, the Ranger would probably be a better value, especially when you start looking at things like driver assist stuff. Um, you know, those those are features that, you know, GM. You know, unfortunately, is has been rather stingy with uh, as, as standard equipment. So, um, my guess is it's probably you know it's probably going to be you know maybe a little better value um, than the Colorado. Although you know, as the you know the Colorado's been in the market for a few years now, and and GM's been adding you know other trim levels. You know, so they've got things like they uh, you know they've well they've got a diesel engine option for one. Um, you know they've got the, um, the you know things like the, the ZR2 or Z71, you yeah. know the, uh, you know the off road package, you know which you don't really have available on the Ranger right now. Um, you know overseas they have a Ranger Raptor. Uh, right now, which they're actually, this week, they're doing a media drive program in Marrakesh I, I, uh, yeah. with that. Oh, that but that's that, not, that that that's sounds, not coming here.
1: That sounds like a great media drive, though. Um, yeah. I, I, I have to believe that Ford has seriously considered all of those. And if there's enough of a justification for offering that Ranger Raptor here, they will.
2: I, I would be shocked if at some point during the life cycle of this truck, that the, the Raptor does not appear or or something similar to it. Maybe yeah, maybe they reserve the the Raptor name for the F150 and they come up with something else. But just looking at the Chevy uh, website right now, you know the the basic Colorado two-wheel drive extended cab work truck with four cylinder engine starts at twenty nine twenty nine eight hundred. Uh, so basically thirty thousand dollars. so it's it's a good five, six thousand dollars more to start with than the Ranger.
1: And that's a naturally yeah. aspirated four too, right? Like, that's the right 2.7 yeah. liter or something?
2: Yeah, and uh, it's a 2.5. 2.5. And, you know, you can also get the 3.6 liter V6 in there.
1: Yeah, which, I don't that doesn't make such a great truck engine, in my opinion. And,
2: you know, then if, you know, if you jump up to the ZR2, the high-end ZR2, you know, with the, uh, you know, with the V6 engine, it's, you know, it starts at forty two. You know, and then uh the uh, the diesel starts at forty almost forty six. So, you know, wow. yeah, it's it it's definitely a better value than the Colorado. Forty six thousand
1: know, dollars for a Colorado with a diesel? Yeah. Who the hell and is that for?
2: <laughs> that's that's the ZR two. That's the uh, that's the off road package. Yeah, so that's that's kinda that's basically their equivalent of a of a Ranger Raptor. Uh yeah, and so that's that's a trim level that you you can't. There isn't really an equivalent of in the Ranger lineup in North America right now. But even the base price is significantly higher. But that that ZR2 is is pretty impressive. You know, they've got um, you know these uh, remote reservoir dampers on there from uh, Multimatic, I think. Yeah, I yeah, think Multimatic. you're right. yeah. um, you know, and you know they've done a lot of other pretty pretty interesting stuff to that truck. So,
1: well, I, I mean, I will be really really curious to try out the uh the uh, the Ranger when I have a chance to to drive when it hasn't made it to my my driveway yet although I do get to check out the Gladiator uh next week they're bringing it to New England and giving us the little dog and pony show so I'll be I'll be curious there because that is another sort of competitor I think to the Ranger in some ways uh it's a, it's a little bit more
3: of a different thing but it's
1: it's a mid pickup Kind of.
3: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. Sort of. It's long. I'll, I'll be curious to, yeah. to hear what you think about the Gladiator, because it's definitely long. And I will say it does have four or five distinct passenger comfort levels. So I think that's one thing that's that's different than how you've described the Rangers. Just there there's absolutely a full on backseat. Um, but the Gladiator is – it was a lot longer than I was expecting it to be. It's, it's yeah. not just a four-door Wrangler without the top.
2: Right. Well, you, you, you can also get the Ranger as a crew cab with proper back seats. Okay. So <clears throat> if you need to carry five people, you know, then you definitely want to get the mm-hmm. crew cab. Um, and just uh, messing around here in the Chevy website, there is actually also a base version of the Colorado that I missed here. That the WT? for some reason, well, no, the, the WT was the one I mentioned that starts at twenty six. Oh, okay. Um, but there's also a base version underneath that that starts at twenty two four. Uh, but again, you know, that's, you know, with the 2.5 liter naturally aspirated, it's only 200 horsepower. Yeah, that's
3: like the, like the workman's right. version of it or something.
2: Right. That's like the, yeah, the rubber
1: well, the, mat and the yeah. radio yeah, delete. Yeah, that's,
2: that's, the, that's the base, base, base version. Two-wheel drive know, only. At, <laughs> yeah, two-wheel drive, true, you know, ex, just the base extended cab. Um, and, you know, none of the driver assist features that you get standard on a Ranger.
1: Mm. Yeah. All right. Well, we've had a, well, that was an interesting, diverse garage this week. Let's <laughs> let's move on to um, some topics. Uh, we were talking before the show started, and it, you know, Sam, you wrote a story for Forbes this week about uh, Ford getting into offering more connected services, and it almost seems like they're very keen to um, meet customers where they are, and I, and I think that's sort of the same sort of common thread uh, to the event, Rebecca, that maybe you can talk about a little bit um, that you attended this week. uh, Also sort of affiliated with Ford with uh, Joy Filatico from, from Lincoln. So, Um, but but Sam, there's a lot in this, uh, this first story that you wrote about, about um, the connected services from Ford.
2: Yeah. So, you know, Ford has been a relative latecomer to you know, putting cellular connectivity in their vehicles. You know, GM started it with uh, with OnStar back in 1996, and you know, most other manufacturers, you know, have been offering you know have been offering some degree of cellular telematics in their vehicles. You know, over the years, um, and increasingly, it's becoming standard equipment. Uh, And, you know, within the next two or three years, it's going to become pretty much universal on almost everything, almost every new vehicle in North America. Um, And including on Ford, you know, Ford for for a long time, for a better part of a decade, you know, they relied on a bring-your-own-device strategy with Sync, you know, where they they let people bring their phones and and mobile devices in and and just connect them and use that for the connectivity in the car. But obviously that has limitations because – You know, it only works when you're in the car with your device and it's connected. Um, You know, once you leave the car and take your phone with you, um, your car is no longer connected. And so that limits what you can do with it. And, you know, when one of the things when Jim Hackett took over as CEO, and I'm sure this is actually a decision that was made, you know, before he took over as CEO, but you know, one of the things that was announced after that was when they talked about their their plan going forward was that he said by the end of 2019 hundred percent of Ford and Lincoln vehicles um, in North America would be equipped with uh, cellular data connections with LTE connections and they're well on their way to doing that and one of the one of the things that they've launched this week you know to to leverage that. Uh, again, it's a feature that, you know, a couple of other automakers, uh, GM and Volvo already have, but they're, they're adding uh, key by Amazon uh, functionality with, uh, with the Ford Pass Connect system, which means that if you have a, a, an Amazon package coming, instead of having a delivery driver, leave it out in the open on your front porch or, you know, sending it to an Amazon locker somewhere, you know, where you have to, might have to make a diversion on your way home from work to pick it up. Um, you can actually have it delivered right to the trunk of your vehicle or to the the cargo area of your vehicle. And you can use the, you know, the the data connection in the car to remotely unlock the car, you know, one time uh, when the delivery driver gets there, they can drop the package off. They'll take a picture of it in the car, send you a picture. So you have, you can see that, yes, the package was delivered and then they close it up and they're on their way to deliver the next package. And like I said, you know, Cadillac, or GM launched this last year, um, uh, with, uh, with I think with most of their models uh, that have OnStar, um, and then uh, Volvo also uh, launched it in 2018, and uh, I'm, I'm sure we'll be seeing other manufacturers doing this in over the next year or two. Uh, but it's it's kind of a neat feature. I think It's a little desperate. <laughs> what? Why? Why do you say it's desperate?
1: Look, I mean they're offering like. They'll come out and service the car. They're partnering with like, what is it? Spiffy rub dub or whatever. So you can get well, a car wash. Or, I mean, like,
2: you know, they're, they're, they're trying to improve the customer experience I, and, I, I and, and, also, and you know, they're, they're trying to find new potential revenue. Well, and also
3: I, I, I think it. there's, there's a certain amount of emotional attachment to a company that helps you out. Like as a single person, has a lot of stuff to do, and not necessarily a lot of people to help me out with. It's really nice the idea that they're going to come to my house for an oil change, or that that Amazon package is going to appear in my car, like,
2: uh, and and that nobody's going to wander off right. with it. And, you know, see it sitting there on your porch, and and just say hey, right, and so look around. There's nobody um, looking. Pick it up and exactly. walk away.
3: And, and maybe I'm just really simple, but there there is a, a sense of loyalty to some extent to a company that makes my life easier. <laughs> that that right. does these I, kinds of that. That first of all, is thoughtful in in terms yeah. of saying, you know, what are some pressure points for people that are busy or travel a lot or just have a lot on their plate? and that the, these are some nice i think these are some really nice emotional solutions that go beyond making a car just a car and and especially you know some of the Lincoln and Ford I think are 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 very consciously trying to appeal to women and i and i think they're doing a pretty good job of it
2: and and frankly you know i mean Amazon last year launched their their key service you know that would allow delivery drivers to, you know, to get access to your house, you know, instead of leaving it on the porch, you know, to actually, you know, if you have uh, an August uh, smart lock on your on your house, you know, they could unlock the door, drop the package inside and then close the door again, you know, i I'd feel a lot more, you know. Well, if I wasn't, if I wasn't somebody who worked at home and didn't have a need for something like that, I would feel much more comfortable with having somebody, you know, drop a package in the trunk of my car than to actually have access to my house.
3: Yes, especially because so, pets too. You know, the, for me, like I wouldn't well, want. And and yeah. Lucy to get out, and you wouldn't want Daisy yeah, to.
1: You know, and it's right. also uh, depending on where you work. It may actually be more more convenient or just more available to have them uh drop a package in your trunk if you work in a you know a city uh versus uh-huh. you know living in the suburbs where you know there may be you know fewer available drivers to get there it's not, i i mean i i say it kind of uh in jest that it's um the desperation, I, because I think.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it's certainly, you know, it, it's a it's a sign of living in a first world country. You know, the, the fact that you have to think about where to have your packages delivered, you know. <laughs> yeah. Clearly, you know, is a sign of rampant I, consumerism. I, I don't know
3: if I've told you this. But
2: that said, if, if you're going to do it, you know, you might as well make it, you know, reduce yeah. the friction.
3: <laughs> I, I don't know if I, I may have mentioned this before, but when I moved back from Saudi Arabia, it, the, I had such an addiction to Amazon, because I, I went from, you know, if I needed to pick up something at the store, it involved getting a taxi driver to, you know, arranging the time, dealing with prayer time, like where they close all the stores. Like it was just always such a hassle. Like there was nothing relaxing about going shopping in Riyadh. And the idea, That things would magically appear at my doorstep was just like the best thing ever. So
1: that's that's true, you know. And I think honestly, uh, a lot of this, a lot of what you're seeing with these sort of this premium level of, of personalized service, I think you're right that it does make you feel more warm and fuzzy toward that company Mm -hmm. Uh, and and they've learned from uh, you know like the lexus experience if you're a lexus customer they take good care of you Mm -hmm. they'll come pick your car up for service and and leave you with the owner yeah and then they'll they'll drop it back off when it's done so you don't you don't have to drive to the dealership they'll wash it and detail it you know it's like all those and and that's
2: and that's an that's another thing that you know that ford is that ford is offering you know that they've got this uh this whole api you know Application programming interface available with FordPass that allows service providers to you know create various services that connect into that you know to um, you know leverage you know being get information about where your car is. And if necessary, you know, to be able to notify you and, and have the car unlocked. So one of the other things that they announced is uh, deals with several mobile car wash services. And these, you know, mobile car wash services have been around for a while. But, you know, this allows them, you know, and they're, they're working with a company called Sparkle, another one called rub dub And there's a third one that I can't think of right now um, that, you know, they, they will come, you know, uh, you know, they come with a, a truck, you know, and they, they, they will do a wash of your car. And if you want interior detailing, you know, then they, you can unlock the car for them remotely so they can get in, clean the interior for you. And then when you come out of your office, your car is all nice and shiny and sparkly. And, you know, you, you don't have to to make any diversions to go to a car wash and you don't have to sit around and wait, you know, if you're getting your car detailed, all, it can all get done, you know, while you're off doing other stuff, or it can be done in your driveway. And
3: it's saving you Um, time and it's accomplishing a task that you don't have to do. And
2: right. And it's all, it's all enabled by this connectivity that's in the car uh, because they, you know, they can find, they, they can know exactly where your car's at and you know, go go directly to it and take right, care of all. They
1: this. they know they know where you are.
2: <laughs> and well, and they're going to sell that to the
1: insurance companies and whoever else wants uh, to buy it. And they're going to yeah. find another revenue well, stream.
2: So okay, so th- this is this is the thing. You know, as part of the work that I do as as an analyst, you know, we actually just published a new uh, connected vehicles report uh, that just came out today as we we're recording this. You know, and I, I've talked to all these companies and at least. Their their official policy, the official policy of every automaker I've talked to, with the exception of Tesla, is that um, any data related to your vehicle belongs to you. It doesn't, you know, they, you know, the automaker before they're allowed to share it with any other third party, whether it's an insurance company or anybody else, you have to explicitly opt in and give permission for that information to be shared. So, you know, yes. You're, because your car has GPS and it's connected, it is possible for people to find out where you are. You know, which is why I drive a twenty-nine-year-old Miata, um, <laughs> which but, is
1: distinctive enough that people who see it know but, where but, you but, are.
2: But but you know, then again, I, you know, I also usually have my phone in my pocket while I'm driving it, right. so I haven't really gained anything because I can be tracked that yeah, way. Yeah,
1: no, I I get it. Um, and, so and
2: I you know, and this, this is this is unfortunately one of the issues of modern life. You know, if you if you don't if you don't want to be tracked, if you want to be off the grid, you do have to give up a lot of the the conveniences that we've come to rely on.
1: Yeah, and and I, me personally, I I would like to to make that choice. Um, when it's embedded into the modem in your car, you don't necessarily have that choice. And the the um,
2: you know, the policy is well. Actually, you do have the choice. I mean, it's built into the car, but you you also have the choice to turn it off. You don't have to. You know, you don't have to opt into that. Well, service.
1: there's, there's, but there's, there's no telling whether you can, you can't necessarily shut that modem off, and so it's going to just be whacking towers as you go by them. So, yeah, the the but policy. So, so, so does your phone? Yes, absolutely. Your phone does too. Um, but you can shut your phone off. And wrap it in foil and lead, and put it. Uh, <laughs> just uh, maybe but, you, you wrap your like, car in
3: foil, or you
2: yeah. or you can go buy or you can go buy an old Ranger. <laughs>
1: right. But no, like the I guess the point I'm trying to make is, uh the policy as stated is only as as good as you know, um yeah, as good
2: as they but, honor it. You know, like right, and 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 this applies to every company in every right. industry. It's not just and, automakers. And you know, yeah. unfortunately,
1: we've seen enough uh malfeasance, not necessarily by automakers, uh, of which there are plenty of examples, but of tech companies more so, where the the data it's hoovered up and it's not even considered that it's yours it's just something that is sold off as another revenue stream or it's sold off as another revenue stream directly in in you know uh, contrast to like 180 degrees opposed to their actual stated, kind of policies so you know trust has really been eroded and that's where i'm at is i I don't i don't know that i can trust and
2: and, and at least at at least to that degree you know the you know all but one automaker you know their official policy is that the data belongs to the the vehicle owner um and you know they are stewards of the data and they're they're not going to share it with anybody without your express permission
1: yeah who is the one that? that i guess that's until that is proven wrong, that's the assumption we have to operate under.
3: Who is the one that doesn't right. apply that test? Tesla. Oh, of course.
1: <laughs> I mean there's I mean an automaker is like that's a loose sort of term for them. <laughs>
3: yeah. Well, we'll we'll
2: come back to that later.
1: Uh, but but I, I but, actually was really interested in the event that you were talking about, Rebecca, uh, because it's another way for automakers to kind of, like I said.
2: Well, be- before oh. before we dive into that, there's one one more thing I wanted to All add. Right. I, I was at I was at a, a Ford uh, an event at the Ford Customer Experience Operations Center in Dearborn yesterday, and another a couple other things that they announced is their Ford Pass Rewards system. So it's a loyalty program when you get service at Ford dealers and things like that. Um, that's, that's launching now. Um, and then also, you know, so you can basically get, you know, equivalent of cash back that you can spend on future service or accessories or other stuff. And then the other thing that they're piloting right now is uh, Ford Mobile Service. So, you know, when you need an oil change or tire rotation or other basic services, you know, simple services, they're working with five dealers in five states, uh, in California, Texas, Illinois, and a couple others that I can't think of off the top of my head right now. Or New Jersey is one um, where they're they've equipped vans uh, you know with parts and tools and um, you know other stuff they can come out to you and do an oil change and a tire rotation right in your driveway. You know, so they've got an extraction pump, you know, they just stick it down the you know so they don't have to jack up the car. They just stick it right down the the dipstick hole suck all the oil out, you know, then they can take, take off the, uh, the oil pan. They've got a storage tank in the van um, and, you know, they'll take care of all that stuff on site for you. Um, You know, so all, all the, all the basic services um, and, and then, you know, go on and and do the next one. And and again, like with the, the Amazon deliveries, you don't even have to be there. You can uh, you can provide them with access to the vehicle, uh to to do the service you know uh wherever the vehicle is
1: That's great. Uh I mean cuz that's one of the hassles as much, I I like it as an a bonding experience with the car <laughs> but um I don't always have time or it's raining or whatever and it's just easier to let some other Porsche schmuck deal with it. And and right. they're probably quicker at it than I am. Um as much as an oil change isn't really all that slow of a thing. Uh that that's you know, that kind of thing is, is going to make a difference in the ownership experience. You know, it just makes it, it, it makes it easier to keep the, to keep the car, you know, it may, or easier to just, you know, maintain and you know, have the upkeep and, uh, you avoid going to the dealer, which nobody likes to do, uh, <laughs> e- e- as nice as dealers can be, um, you know, where they've all had to upgrade their sort of in dealer experience with coffee and whatever. Um, Still, you got to go burn time there. So if they can come and, and take care of you in your parking lot, that's that's great.
2: All right, let's get on to Rebecca's right. event.
1: Okay. Your event, Rebecca, where they're meeting, again, meeting buyers where they are, but kind of differently.
3: Yes. So this was a, an event at NYU uh, in at their main campus uh, in New York City. And it was actually hosted by Ford uh, and it was called Breaking the Glass Ceiling. And the... Uh, one of the main attendees there was Joy Fulodico, who is the president of Lincoln Motor Company and the uh, chief marketing officer for for Ford. What was interesting about this event was that uh, who else she was on stage with. So the moderator was uh, Gina Rodriguez, who actually went to NYU, graduated from there and is an actress director. Uh, I think she's best known for Jane the Virgin. I've actually never seen her in something, but she was absolutely hilarious as i mean she's just incredibly funny very clever woman uh, but the other people that were on stage was uh, kelly edwards who is uh she's an african-american host of a travel channel show called mysterious islands and i believe she is the only african-american host of of a travel channel network at state at show as well as being the only African-American female one and then there was another woman Patricia Valoy who was a civil engineer she was kind of there to represent the stem part of of women breaking through the glass ceiling Ellen Miles, who is an SVP of intersectional marketing at Sony Pictures, and then Raquel Wilson, who I guess is quite well known. She uh, is the executive editor of Out Magazine and is a transgender African-American woman. And what was so what was kind of crazy was, you know, these four women with very diverse backgrounds. Uh, the the engineer, uh, Patricia Valois, is actually uh, Hispanic and she's uh she, I believe, she's quoted a stat where two percent of engineering students are Hispanic women, and so you know these are women that are really at the ends of the of the spectrum. And then you had Joy, who is a Midwestern white blonde-haired blue-eyed executive for Ford for thirty years, and it was just the dichotomy was was. Pretty intense, in some ways. I uh, and but what struck me was just that that Ford would would represent uh, these women from not only very diverse backgrounds, but from very liberal and and very left leaning backgrounds. And I'm not talking about politically so much as these are the types of buyers. That I feel like General Motors often shies away from, you know, they're not they're not one to necessarily step out. And I know you know people that have worked at GM tried to get them to be more involved in uh, in a more diverse community, whether it's LBGTQ+, plus uh, or just doing more activities around women. It was just it, it was impressive. I thought to see Lincoln in this environment, uh, because General Motors is always so careful to protect what they call the pickup truck buyer, who is somehow going to be offended by this, by perceived support of these kinds of groups. So it was just very interesting to see Lincoln. And I applaud them for it. I think it was great to see Joy up there um, and to see Ford representing this this women's group in front of, of, I would say there was probably eight, eight to 900 college students, basically uh, that were there. I, I felt very old, although I wasn't the oldest, <laughs> oldest person there.
2: <laughs>
3: what, yeah. I mean, it.
2: well, I, 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 I think I, I need to take a little issue with uh, what you said about GM. You know, I think GM has done a lot of stuff, uh, a lot of programs, you know, with the LGBTQ community. Um, I know um, I'm blanking on his name right now. Um, Joe Lamoralia. The uh, yeah, yeah. Joe, you know, has, has done a lot of stuff and, you know, and also on but the West coast, they've done quite a, quite a few al- programs. He also there. had
3: to fight very, very hard to get this done. And, and and maybe that happened at Ford as well, but there, and Joe's left general motors now, but i um, there was just, I guess I, 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 I know Joe very well and I know the struggles that he often had internally getting things done. They, they did general motors. It's not that they haven't done anything. And I don't mean to imply that at all. Uh, it was just, um, I just, I, I guess, I guess the main thing is I just want to applaud Ford for being out there for being willing to, to support this kind of event, to be in front of a group of women that uh, wouldn't necessarily, I mean, I'm not saying they're considering buying a Ford now, but I thought it was great to have Joy up there, to have the industry represented uh, in front of young women and and have somebody like Joy there representing both Lincoln and Ford and, and the automotive industry.
1: Well, and it's not the first time uh, Ford has done this this kind of thing uh, they a few years ago did a um, video series that with Gina Davis called she's got drive mm. um, so they've they and they you know this time around they're they're plucking sort of stories uh, unexpected uh, stories of, of breaking the glass ceiling obviously um, so they've they've been at it for a little while Um and I think it's it's another smart move and it's another area we're going to have to see all automakers kind of embrace is, is that typical buyer that you picture in your head is this, you know, like the suburban dwelling middle class person. And there's just – there's as we're seeing – tradition shift away from like sedans, right? We're also seeing tradition shift away from, from that sort of standard buyer of a certain age. Like they, they're all shapes and sizes. And as the business sort of tightens up, uh, although we've seen lots of sales volume, I I I feel like every car maker is really bracing for the downturn Mm -hmm. because it, it, it hasn't, hasn't turned down in a while. And we've had a few really, really good years And they're all kind of just holding their breath because something's going to happen. And so trying to speak to to different groups and make sure that your brand is the one that has the same kind of loyalty that say, uh, you you know, Subaru or um, MINI. Uh, do because th- those are brands that really have connected with their buyers and their buyers are loyal and it's a, you know, part of their lifestyle. And it's just a, it's a, you know, like, like the Subaru buyer, you know, they do outdoor stuff and the Subaru really cultivates that image. And they, they d- d- do a lot of messaging around that. Uh, you know, even when it, it, there's, you know, like, well, like to take your dog to work day or something, you know, <laughs> they'll have something special for that. Right. Um, And, and so I think that's, kind of uh one part of it and i think the other part of it is their workforce uh looking for more diverse voices in their workforce to help them make a better product or uh a product that is more relevant you know and Mm -hmm. we're seeing we're seeing this in in the design of cars you know Women bring a different perspective to uh, the design and use of of the car, and and that's something that is is kind of important, uh, especially given the amount of uh, purchase decisions that are are driven by more than yeah. half of yes. them. Yeah, exactly. Well,
3: and I, I mean, I will say, you know, from from, and I, I don't mean to be to to say Listen, that General let Motors. We all hang out. Well, I, I just well, I, don't, I don't mean to say that General Motors <laughs> doesn't do anything with a diverse community because they do cadillac had done done some things with um broadway you know tonight we dare and stuff so there's there's things that they have done and i i think maybe it's just my exposure to them has been more limited i i'm not a member of that community and so i don't get invited to those kinds of things um but and i and i i don't know i think that in some ways um You know, what was cool about how I related so well to this was the fact that it was all women up there. It was women um, in these, you know, I know, obviously, I'm of an extreme minority in a male dominated uh, industry and such. And so I think it was just for me, it was it was nice to be able to relate to women that they are the only one of this or the only one of that, Uh, because sometimes I'm the only woman on a press drive. You know, things like that, (laughs) although it certainly has gotten a lot better in the last couple of years. Uh, But but, you know, one of the things that that General Motors, uh, when they were developing the Lambda platform and the seven seat, uh, the GMC Acadia, the Chevy Traverse and such was it was heavily engineered by women. And there were things that they did to make the vehicles more comfortable, specifically for women drivers, and it really shows in those types of vehicles. So I think that um, you know, getting getting that that diversity of thought and getting that input um, from all different attitudes, all different uses, all different uh, lifestyles, really, I think, is key uh, to a successful to a successful vehicle.
1: Well. Um... You know, I look forward to the day that we don't we don't have to excitedly proclaim like the first this or the only, uh, you know, for yeah, you know, yeah. like
2: it's true. It, it, it should it it should this this stuff should just be the way it is. It should just be normal. We, we shouldn't have to um, rely on, you know, these kinds of efforts. Unfortunately, that's not the case today and it probably won't be for a long time, but um, you know, whatever we can do to move things in the right direction. I, I definitely applaud yes, that. Yeah. yeah.
3: And so I just, I wanted to give kudos to Ford uh, for the event cause it it was really well done.
1: Yeah. I mean, you gotta go find the people to buy the cars. Yes, exactly. Because, <laughs> you know, and, uh, buyers now look different than they used to. So that's, I mean, that, I think that's great. Yeah. Um, all right, let's, uh, let's move on to the next, uh, next thing we wanted to talk about, or are we, have we exhausted it? What's your, what's your appetite?
3: Well, I wanted to talk to Sam briefly, uh, the, the Tesla article, um, on Mr. Wang's, uh, death with autopilot. I just thought that was a really, I appreciated your article on that, Sam.
2: Yeah. So, uh, for those that haven't read it, you know, what, um, earlier this week, uh, the family of Walter Wang, um, uh, filed a uh, wrongful death suit against Tesla. Actually, I think it may have been filed a couple of weeks ago. But um, at any rate, they have filed a wrongful death suit against Tesla. And Walter Wang was the driver of a a Model X uh, that crashed in Mountain View, California, uh, last March of 2018, uh, when the car was on autopilot. And it slammed into the center barrier of the highway, the concrete center barrier, um, and ripped the front end of the vehicle off, and it um, the battery ignited you know and caught caught fire, and um, he was severely injured and pronounced dead at the hospital. and the the reason why I, I wrote this article, you know, I think you know as as anybody who's listened to me for any length of time knows, you know there there are lots of issues with Tesla autopilot, you know, and I think that you know, Tesla and and Elon Musk need to be held accountable, you know, for the way that they have promoted autopilot and, you know, and, and even, you know, for selling their full self-driving package on cars, you know, for the last several years without actually having a product to offer. You know, I think, I think the idea of charging customers $5,000 for, for a feature that may or may not ever exist, um, you know, to me, you know, that smacks of fraud. You know, well, the SEC tends to agree
1: too.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, but the SEC has no power over that thing. I mean, that's something the Federal Trade Commission should have gone after a long time ago. But that's, you know, that that's a separate issue. But I think that you know Tesla and and Musk, you know, should definitely be held to account for the failings of autopilot. Um, my issue is with this particular case you know, um, the, the driver of this vehicle, Walter Wang, um, knew that there were issues with it. And in fact, had complained, uh, to Tesla multiple times and had the vehicle into the Tesla service center on multiple occasions before the fatal crash, you know, to complain about this very problem. In fact, he had experienced the exact same problem that, that led to this crash where, you know, it didn't properly follow the lane and instead, you know, veered towards, you know, the the, the road, the, the highway, Highway 101 near Mountain View splits at this location, you know, and there's a, it goes off on, you know, part of it, part of the road goes off on a different direction. And, you know, so he sl- slammed into the, the concrete barrier. Um, and he had experienced the vehicle veering towards his barrier on multiple Didn't occasions you say it was seven prior to the fatal accident.
3: times? Because this was his commute, uh, at least, right? This yeah. was his standard commute. Yeah,
2: it was his it was his daily yeah. commute. He was an engineer at Apple working in Cupertino. And he was on his way to work, you know, the morning of the crash. And, you know, he had taken it to the dealer uh, or to the, the service center. And they said, you know, there was nothing they could fix about it. You know, he'd complained to Tesla. And yet he continued to use this feature, even though he knew that it didn't work. You know, and- I'm not a lawyer. None of us are. None of the three of us are. Uh, you know, but to me, you know, it seems that, you know, this is a classic case of, you know, fool me once, shame <laughs> on you. You know, fool me twice, you know, shame on me. You know, that people need to take responsibility. You know, if they know that something doesn't work, stop using it. Do not use the feature if you know that there's a risk that it's going to crash.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think that there's... And
2: and, and worse worse than that, you know, on this particular occasion, you know, the data from the car showed that he was getting alerts from the car to put his hands back on the wheel and take control before, you know, in the the moments leading up to the crash, and he ignored those alerts. Right. Right, yeah. So, you know... From you know, from the some of the responses on Twitter that I saw, uh, particularly from um, uh, a gentleman named Jim McPherson, uh, goes by the handle Safe Self Drive. He's he's actually a lawyer, and you know he explained that you know the the product liability law uh, in California, you know which I guess you know despite the fact that you know that Wang knew of the. Uh, knew of the issue and, and did not, you know, did not respond or, you know, continued to use the function, Tesla is still responsible yeah. for, for the failure of the system. Because,
1: and, because the, you know, you have to, as, as the, the producer of that system, you have to reasonably imagine it being misused and prevent right. from it.
2: And, and as as an engineer, you know, when I work when I was working as an engineer, that was something we had to think about. We had to think about the ways that people would likely, you know, misuse ABS or stability control systems, and test for that, and try to make sure that the system worked properly in those scenarios. Yeah, I
1: mean that's that's that was
2: that was something I did as an that's engineer. for
1: Cruise will park itself, <laughs>
2: you know, right? Like, you know, but you know, I, I, regardless of what the law is, I think people need to think about this, and you know, and in fact, today I was coming back from from a meeting and I was you know driving down the highway and I as I glanced in my mirror I saw a Tesla Model 3 coming up on my left in, in the left lane you know, the left lane and as it passed me I I glanced over and I looked at the driver sleeping you know and the driver was sitting there <laughs> no he wasn't sleeping he was looking down at his phone had both hands tapping away on his phone texting on his phone no hands on the wheel not watching the road at all which is totally contradictory to the instructions that are you know, in the Tesla operator Well,
1: yeah, but, but I mean so are the statements made by Elon Musk. And, and
2: Oh I know. And that's 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 why you know that's my argument why I think, you know, I, I agree that, you know, Musk needs to be held to account for this sort of stuff because you know, despite Tesla's official position being that the driver is responsible, the driver's in control, and you have to keep your hands on the wheel. You know, he has he himself has been filmed in T V interviews demonstrating autopilot with his you know, not looking at the road, and his hand, not his right. hands, not and on the it's, wheel.
1: It's that parlor trick that I think creates, and I think that goes back to this the psychology of of why, even though the thing, clearly had some, um, some confusion. You know, the system couldn't handle certain situations, and it would it would mal- malfunction or whatever whatever you want to call it. It would make the wrong decision. Uh, there's a certain um, hopefulness among, uh, you know, owners, especially of Tesla's like, Nope, this is, this is great. It works really well. It's full self-driving because it's been built that way, even when it's not. Uh, so I feel like it's one of those things, like they're early adopters. They're already tolerant of the, the warts that the system may have because they believe in the technology and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, uh, you, you have to, be realistic and and not be be hopeful to the point that like yes eventually you know after thirty times of it messing up and trying to drive into this barrier they're gonna fix it and it's not gonna do that anymore like eh, maybe maybe you should retain control um and 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 not not put yourself at risk unnecessary you know like you know what I'm saying like it's it's that well it should work so I'm gonna put it in that mode and that's the mode that. I I want to work, and but you can't will it to happen.
2: Well, we can at least warn our listeners, you know, to to be more vigilant when they're when they're on out there driving, you know, regardless of what systems you're using, whether whether you're driving a Tesla or or any other vehicle with you know any of these driver assist features, you know, these are driver assist features. These are not autonomous cars. It's
3: it's not driver
2: and, substitute. And it's driver assist. Right. Yeah, you you know, you are still responsible and you know you have to pay attention to the road and, and what the car well, so is. So here's
1: doing. here's my question though. Uh they you are responsible, but the systems make it really easy to be irresponsible. You know, this M eight fifty I that I'm driving has very good ADAS. It'll keep itself in the lane, it'll let me take my hand off the wheel. And for an extended period, you know, like it'll, it'll do its thing. And then it has little yellow indicator lights that light up. And if I don't put my hand back on the wheel, it'll beep at me. Uh, but it takes what feels like an eternity for that to happen. Cause I was playing with it to see, um, you know, how long I could go without having any, any kind of sort of input, you know, letting the system just do its thing. Uh, it's, it's alarming. <laughs> How long it'll just do its thing before it it actually warns you? Hey, you've you've got to touch the wheel again.
2: Yeah, it is. Um, you know, and it's it's very easy to become complacent. Uh, you know, and and to stop paying attention, and you know, to become overconfident in the performance of these systems. But You know what?
3: At the same time, though, like if you're on if you're on the road, I, I was going to use the example of of a of a racetrack, but not very many people get that opportunity. So I'll use it more generic indicator but so if you're on if you're on the, your road if you are on your commute and you come to a curve and you consistently lose your back end on that curve because you go too fast eventually you slow down right? ah,
1: you go faster <laughs> you get all four wheels involved <laughs> You get better tires. <laughs> but no, Joking aside, yes, you, you learn, you know, right? it's like the stove is hot. Don't touch yeah. the stove. I,
3: exactly. <laughs> and so the idea that this that this system failed him repeatedly, you know, just at the exact same point, it wasn't like it, it failed him at different points along his commute. It failed him at the same point seven times. And, and as you said, Sam, you know, it, it's like how, I don't understand how you trust a system that does that, you know, you follow, you spin out. If you don't point to the tree through the corkscrew at Laguna Seca, you make that mistake one time <laughs> because you're screwed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's the kind of stuff that I just, I, when I was reading your article, which was excellent, I just, I just was struck that really, that really st- stuck out to me as something that it, it just there was just such blind, naive trust in this system that it's it's tragic. It's absolutely tragic. And um and I think we always need to remember that these things are not their driver assist and not driver substitute.
2: Yeah, that's that's absolutely true. So, you know, Watch the road. You know, there are no autonomous vehicles that, you know, no self-driving vehicles on the road today that you can buy. So if you are driving a vehicle that you own, remember, it's not autonomous. You are are responsible. You have to drive it.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, do your best to scare yourself. The harder you drive, the more engaged you're going to be. No, this is terrible advice. I should just stop. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, all right. Well, I think we have, uh, we have consumed another, uh, podcast for, uh, this week. Um, unless there's any questions, I didn't see any, uh, so,
2: you know, in there, there was, there was, uh, one in email. Oh, okay. Um, let me find it real quick here. I actually had it open earlier. It was from Andy. Uh, he had, uh, some EV charging confusion. Uh, it says, uh, apologize if I'm being obtuse here, but I don't understand the terminology of electric car charging. The specs for EV charging stations seem to be routinely expressed in kilowatts. So a Tesla supercharger might be rated 135 kilowatts. But I guess I expect the important metric to be a rate of some sort, at, that as in uh, kilowatts per hour. Is this not how it works? What am I missing here? Um, yeah, actually, uh, kilowatts include a time component. It, kilowatts is a is a is a unit of power. So essentially, what it is is you know how much how much energy are you putting uh, are you you know are you expending per unit of time is is what it amounts to, just like horsepower. And so, um, you know, if if you're uh, you know, if you're charging at 135 kilowatts, you know, you're going to you're going to be getting a certain amount of energy, you know, per minute, um, you know, being pumped into your battery. And, you know, we also have a unit called kilowatt hours, which is how much, you know, which is kind of the opposite of that, you know, which is taking out. um you know, for for every hour, you know, how many kilowatts are you expending or or consuming? You know, or how how much uh, how much energy is stored? So that's a unit of capacity, of uh, you know, the total energy capacity. You know, so you can put out um, you know a certain number of kilowatts for a certain number of hours. You know, so a ninety kilowatt hour battery could put out ninety kilowatts for one hour. Or forty-five kilowatts for two hours—that sort of thing. So um, the the kilowatt, the unit of kilowatts, is already has time incorporated into that. And I think it's, if I recall correctly, the definition is something like newton meters per minute or something. I think, um, but I'll I'll have to look it up. Um, kilowatt definition. Uh, let's see. It is. Uh, a kilowatt is uh equal to a thousand watts yeah yeah uh it's equivalent of uh one thousand joules of energy for one second is one kilowatt, so that's where the time component is already incorporated into a kilowatt so physics lesson done for today
1: <laughs> <laughs> isn't a uh never mind, I'm not even going to show off my uh my ignorance i th- I thought it was like the amount of time it takes a. Horse to raise a thing one foot so